As the children are going out, I'm reminded of something about my children when they were young. Uh, on, on a special occasion, it could be my birthday or Father's Day or even Christmas or something else or Valentine's Day. I'd get a coupon book from them, different ones. Y'all know what that is? Okay, cool, yeah. So it'd be like, you know, uh, I'll wash the car, or I'll do something like that. And, and uh, I liked when they got older, like Savannah would give me one, I'll go to a movie and eat popcorn with you. That was a, that was a little bit easier for, to cash in. Now, I had to pay for it still, but she would go with me. Um, uh, things like that. But, but, you know, most of those coupons, I never cashed them in. And, and why, why? Because that was someone weaker trying to give a gift to someone more powerful, right? And, and so I wouldn't want to cost them or anything else. But I always appreciate it. It was such a gesture of love. It was, it was wonderful. But I could give them a coupon book because I had the power to do it, right? If, if I had done that, I, I don't actually remember ever doing that. Maybe I've done it with, with Janice, but I had the power to fulfill what I did. Do you understand that God gave us a coupon book of promises. Now, I know that if we took that too literally and too much, that would sound uh, too demeaning a way to describe the Bible. Yet, there is a spiritual truth in what I said that, that I want to explain as we go. Because this is what God has done for us. And by the end of this sermon today, I hope that you will know and understand and we'll use this key that God has given us to open up all of the promises in the Bible. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So let me give you a, ver- uh, a little thing I want you to take home with you. A little statement. This might help. You go ahead and put it up. I'm not seeing it there. It's not there yet either. It'll be here. There it is. Jesus is the promise that makes all the promises yes. Amen. All the promises are in Jesus. And I don't think we always, always realize that. So I hope to help you. See that a little more clearly. I'm going to start reading in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians 1. Again, that's page 1145, 1145. Um, Why don't you go ahead and stand up? You've been sitting through a little bit, and this will help you focus a little better. I hope you will follow along. I'm reading out the ESV uh, translation of the Bible. If you've got a different one, it'll say the same thing, different words. Uh, Just try to follow along. You don't have to read out loud. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia. And and you sent me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh? Ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? But as surely as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ... Whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ 
and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Would you pray with me before we sit down? Father God, in Jesus' name, we step into the throne, the throne room of heaven, and we lay this petition at your feet. We thank you that we call you Father. You are, uh, you are our Father in Christ, and we thank you for that. And so our request is that you would open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to understand your word, and that, Lord, you would strengthen us and our will to do what you command us to do. Lord, may we lay hold of these, of these many and precious promises. And, Lord, may we say to you, amen, for the giving of them to us. Lord, we ask you to protect us in this time, bind our unseen enemy, and keep us safe. Lord, only you have the power to do that, and we acknowledge that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And y'all can sit down. So, you got to kind of understand what is going on here. Paul had told them that he wanted to come see them. And, and let me just give you the first point I'm going to make is that Paul is showing his love to the Corinthians. Now, it doesn't sound like it because Paul's doing something a little unusual here. Usually, he would brag on the people he's talking to. He would start that way because people listen to you better if you brag on them, right? But Paul seems to be bragging on himself. And when you read it, that's what it looks like. And you have to go, why is he doing that? And here's the reason he is trying to help them understand that what they know about God, what they know about Christ, he was the one that taught them. And he wants them to rejoice, not in Paul, but in what he shared with them. He's not talking about himself, but what God allowed him. And and he says everything he did, he did as God worked through him. And so... We see this at first, and he claims, listen, my motives were pure. I expect to do this. And there's that phrase there, and some people use that as a, uh, a hermeneutic to say that you can be saved and then get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But Romans 8 says that's not possible. You got the Holy Spirit when you came to Christ. And you can be filled many times, but you only get one baptism into the Spirit, and that is salvation. What he meant by a second act of grace is, he said, and he gave the roadmap. I was going to come to you, then I was going to go to this other place, Macedonia. Then I was going to come back to you, going back to Jerusalem. But it didn't work out that way. And what had happened in Corinth is these false prophets arose in the church after Paul had taught them and left. And it seems like some of their teaching was wrong, but... By and large, they were trying to discredit Paul as they did so. And, and because the people aren't going to listen unless they can say, well, Paul didn't really, look, he's not a good guy. He promised this. He didn't do it. But going on and on. And Paul is a little bit trying to counteract that. Not trying to justify himself, but counteract it. And so he said, I spoke plainly. You could understand what I was saying. But he, if you look at um, uh, the verse 14, he said, you partially understood Just as you partially understand us. But that on the day of our Lord Jesus. You will boast of us. As we will boast of you. What he is saying here is. I hope you remember all this. So when Jesus. The great judgment day of Christ. You could say. Paul did a good job teaching us. Because I'm going to say. Y'all were good students. And you learned from me well. I'm going to boast about you. And I hope you can boast about me. He is. He's trying to reestablish a connection, relationship with them. And he says, I did all this because I, I wanted you to understand that I love you and I, I want you to grow. And then secondly, in verses 15 to 18, Paul says, but I'm following God's will. And if I'm following God's will and circumstances keep me from doing that, then doing what I wanted to do, 
It wasn't because I said, yeah, I might come by, and then I didn't. I was, my plan was to get there, but I was, we would use the term providentially hindered. That's a, that's a nice sounding way to say I didn't do it, right? And so Paul is saying the, the will of God slowed him down. You see that in verse uh, 15 and following, because I was sure of this. I wanted to come to you first, so I give you this second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia, come back to you through Macedonia, and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Was I saying yes and no? I might, I might not. No, he said, I, I plan to say yes. Verse 16, but, or uh, 18, but as sure as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. He said, I had all sincerity, I was going to do it, didn't do it, but I couldn't do it. Uh, he'd have done it if he could. And so he's trying to show that he was following God's will, and God's will led him to a different way to do it. But then I want us to get to the real crux of it. That's just kind of background. And I want us to get here to this crux of the matter in verses 19 through 22. Because I believe the church in general, and any particular church, any particular local assembly, is weaker when they don't access the promises of God. And, and I, I would just say, I don't, I don't necessarily think in those terms all the time. But the Bible is full of promises. I thought I would look up how many. And if you try to do that, you can check me out. It's according to who you're listening to, how many they found. Okay, And, and I would even say according to their denomination, how many they found. I noticed a couple of trends going there. The lowest count I had was 1,200 and something. Highest count was 8,800. So there's it, 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 a wide variety there. So you may not count some things as a promise. But... In these verses, he says, Jesus does not give an, a yes and a no. And why not? Because he knows what's going to happen, right? If God promises something, he's going to make sure it works because he's got power to do that. I could promise to take my son fishing. And on Saturday, the weather changes. I break a leg, whatever. I can't keep that promise because I knew that was going to happen. At that point, a good person, a good parent would say, Son, I promise, I'm sorry, but it is impossible for a go, but we'll do a makeup day, we'll do it this day or whatever. You, you try to keep them in the loop of what's, what's happening and just go, ah, we're not going fishing. No, you wouldn't do that. You would you'd tell them the truth. And that's kind of what Paul was trying to do there with them. But Jesus knows what's going to happen. So when he promises something, we can take it to the bank. We know he's coming back, right? We can take that to the bank. We don't know exactly when. We, we, we know how, but we don't know exactly when. But he said, I will be back. And we have to hang on to that and trust that. And we as humans become distrustful when things don't happen the way we want them to happen. Have you ever noticed that? I, I think you could. But Paul says here that in Jesus, in verse 19, he says that in Christ, and I, I'm going to reemphasize before we get to verse 20, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, Sylvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. Now, I, I, I want to give the implications of that statement that Paul makes under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When a Christian prays and lays hold of God's word to pray and give that promise back to God and claim it, the answer is always yes. You say, well, I, I, 
preacher, that's not true. This is what I needed. I told God, and he didn't come through. Yeah, Paul talked about that in this book, too. I referenced it the other day. We'll come back around to it, preaching on it. He said, to keep me from getting too proud of myself, I was sent a messenger from Satan, which I asked God to remove three times. And God said, nope, nope, nope. My grace is sufficient. His presence and his power. Let me, let me help you with something I didn't say last week, and, and I should have. When we're talking about comfort and affliction, I, I did not point out that comfort has a little different meaning than we think of today. Comfort to us is you made me feel better, right? I want to be comforted. And we're comforted by a lot of things. And then I talked about God says he comforts by coming alongside us. But, but I want to be to feel better. And, and so when I'm sick, you know, when it was my mom and now it's my wife, um, you know, they want to, are you comfortable? Are you okay? Are you comfortable? Are you okay? I will be if you'll leave me alone, okay? That, that's how I do sick, okay? Uh, I just want you to out of the room. Don't worry. I want to groan if I want to groan. I want to be still, whatever. But, but that doesn't necessarily comfort me, and that's how we think of comfort. But the Bible word for comfort means to strengthen and empower. When he said he would come alongside of us, he means... And I'll infuse you with my presence and you'll know that you can get through this. And Paul is expanding on that and saying that God of comfort always answers yes. So if you don't get exactly what you asked for, you might be the five-year-old asking for a Porsche car. You ain't getting it. And if you are of driving age, you ain't getting it for me because I can't afford it. Because if I could, I'd have one and you'd still be riding a bike, right? And so when... So this promise of God, if he has to say no because you're asking amiss or wrongly or it's not for you right now, he's going to fill you with his presence so that you can get through that difficulty or whatever you're, whatever you're going through. And, and we've got to realize that. But I will say this. There's a bunch of debates about the Old Testament, New Testament. What's valid? What's not? You know, has this thing stopped? Is that thing still going on? Whatever it is. There, you drive yourself crazy listening to different people like me trying to explain all this. But I heard a man say something. Best statement I ever heard on it. Every promise in the Bible is mine until God says I can't have it. Do you understand that? Our son... I, sorry, I keep using my kids as illustrations. Hopefully, he won't hear all this. But when he was a little kid, we go to the store. And he'd go, can I have this? And we go, no. Can I have that? No. Can I have that? And it wasn't the same thing all through the store. It wasn't like, I want a candy bar. We said no. And he pitched a fit. It would just be, hey, that's neat. Can I have that? No. Well, see something. Hey, can I have that? No. And finally, we said, why do you keep asking us for stuff when we keep saying no? He said, well, if I ask enough, you're going to say yes eventually. <laughs> And what Jesus said, keep asking, keep knocking, keep seeking. And if God says a definite, okay, quit asking me, no, and do this, then that's what we do. We say, okay, good, that must be got your best for me. You don't want me to have what I think I need. I need what you know I need. Are you following me? I want to give that balance as we look at this because I firmly believe a Christian always gets a yes and never gets a no. But that yes may be God's presence to get you through it. You see, a non-believer, a pagan, can get no from God. But it takes a child of God to get a yes from his father. I'll say that again. A lost man can get a no from God. 
unless he's asking for Jesus to take over his life, then he gets a yes. But it takes a child of God to know, I'm going to get a yes from God. And it's going to be either exactly what I asked for or something even better, which is his presence. And if we're content with Christ in our life, Jesus is enough. You realize that. You don't need money. You don't need wealth. You don't need food. You don't need housing. You don't need worldly comfort. You don't need anything but Christ. And if you make him your priority, he gives you everything you need, not necessarily everything you want. The way Americans define need is a lot different than everybody else in the world defines defines need. But what are some of those promises? Because they're irrevocable. Uh, Isaiah 26.3, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. So he said he'll keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind on him. In Ephesians 3, he said, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more that we can ask or imagine... According to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. The Bible promises he can do more than you can even imagine him doing. In Philippians, so I said, not say, Lord, I can't even imagine this. I, I, I did it. I did it today. I prayed a prayer and I said, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this. I know these are three options. I would like this option, but whatever's good with me. And I'll tell you what it was. I woke up at five this morning, didn't feel right. Looked at my insulin pump and it said, unable to operate. Call this number, give this code. So I did. 30 minutes later, after stepping through all the things you got to step through to get to somebody and them explain it, she said, yep, your pump's broken. We'll send you a new one. What do you have as a backup? <laughs> nice. Well, back in August when I went to Africa with Brother Pete to, to visit Justin, I called my doctor and I said, you know, it hit me that I'm going to Africa, and if my pump breaks there, I got no recourse. Can you give me what I used to do, a long-acting insulin, and I'll take that and measure it all in case my pump breaks over there in Africa till I get back? She said, sure. Wrote out a prescription, got it. My pump worked through Africa. It's been in the refrigerator ever since. Until this morning. Ain't God cool? He provided for today back in August. I never even know, have no sense asking for it. But what I pray today is, hey, could you heal me for two days till my pump gets here? I said, I know that's a crazy one, but I'll be the first guy in history that I know that happened to. But can you at least help me with what I'm doing to work well? See what I'm saying? Now, is there a promise in the Bible? Hey, when Stuart, when your pump breaks, just tell me and I'll take care of it. No, but he's always with me. He's always protecting us. He's always watching. He always is in charge of what's going on in our life. And so I submit to him and I Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. There's one I could claim today. Matthew 6. So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? What will we wear? The pagans run after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And then Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's a promise of God. I am a people of God. I'm a seed of Abraham because of my faith in Christ. Those are amazing promises. Let me just talk about these promises because the name of the promise is Jesus. Look at verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Talking about Jesus. That is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. 
Now, what promises are ours in him? According to that verse, what does it say? All, yep. In verse 20, all. Now, what does the Greek word for all mean? All. All means all. That's all all means. All the promises of God found in the scripture because of what Christ did on the cross, being buried and rising again, and that I came to him and said, I'm a sinner going to hell and I need, I need you. He said, okay, I'll come in and take care of that. You're going to be my slave. Good trade. Let's do it. Then all the promises in the Bible are mine in Christ. Now, what if I ask for a promise and he says no? He's going to give me himself. Janice and I are going through a time one time and we're reading the Bible. And boy, the promises were jumping out because we needed so many of them. But they didn't seem to be happening. Ever been there? You ever been saying, God, God, God? You know, like, it's like, are you there? Are you there? And Jesus, Jesus, Janice looked at me. Same difference. No, not that same difference. And Janice looked at me and said, okay, this don't seem to be working. What is the one promise we know will never break? I said, man, I got it. I, I thought, I'd think about it. But in Hebrews, he said, the strongest promise in the Bible is I will never, ever leave you and I will never, ever, ever forsake you. I've told you before, in English, you, buy, you string together a bunch of negatives. It makes, the, makes what you're saying positive. But in the Greek language, the more negatives or the more positives you get it, the stronger it becomes. And so the promise is written in a negative. But here's what it means. I will always, 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 always be with you. I will not depart from you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age, he says at the end of Matthew. He says it in Hebrews. He will not abandon his own. Because there have been a lot of Christians that starved to death. There's been a lot of Christians that have been persecuted and put to death for their faith. Do you think God failed them? No, he didn't fail them. Because they never gave in to giving in. They said yes to Jesus all the way to martyrdom. And God loves to call them his children. He loves to call those his sons. That's what the Bible says when we remain faithful to him. But all the promises of God are named Jesus. The great commentator and commentary, Matthew Henry, says this about these promises. Number one, that these promises are the promises of the God of truth. God is purely truth. He is the truth. So if he made a promise, it's true. Secondly, they are made in Christ Jesus, who is called the Amen, the true and faithful witness of God the Father. And so not only are the promises from the God of truth, they are made through Jesus Christ, who is the amen. And then they are confirmed by the Holy Spirit, as we see down there in the next verses. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God continues to bless us because of Jesus Christ. Notice what he does. In verse 21, I just read it. It is God who establishes you in Christ. I would just, by my own mind, define that as being made steady. But it really means he confirms that we're in the kingdom. He has established us. I am now a citizen. I, I don't know how much you ever watch any kind of shows or things, but, but every once in a while you'll run into a, a live testimony somebody became a naturalized citizen. If a person is born in any other country and they go through that process, when they take that oath, they become as much a citizen of the United States as I am. 
Right? Right? When you come to Christ, you're as much in the kingdom as anybody else. There's nobody above you, below you, behind you. You are in the kingdom as much as anyone. And he says, he established you and us together in that kingdom. Secondly, he anoints us. Anointing is commissioning somebody to do something. So he establishes, yep, you belong to the kingdom. Now I'm going to anoint you to go be an ambassador for the kingdom. You get to go into the world. You get to go to someone and tell them about this kingdom that they too can become a part of if they will come to Christ Jesus. Amen? Thirdly, he says there, he gives us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He is not an it. He is a he. He is a person. And I can't say this without in my mind going, how can this be? But that God himself lives inside of me. But remember in the Bible, he's speaking more to the church than to the individual. We read it more as an individual instead of the church. Both are true, but the Holy Spirit indwells this body of believers. And so in this church, the Holy Spirit fills the believers in this church. And so you say, well, then why do we decide different things? Well, one of us aren't listening right. I just don't know which one of us it is. So we go to pray and say, Lord, what is your will? And so many times we do that, we come to, oh, and God gives us maybe a third year. So we go, that's what it was. We both missed it, probably. And so the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. And what does he do? He helps us understand the book that he inspired men to write. That is the written word of God. He teaches us about righteousness. teaches us about judgment to come and, and of sin. He helps us. He shows us. He reminds us of what Jesus said. And he is the power of God living in us to do what God asks us to do. And the last thing he says there in those verses is he is our guarantee. Notice what it says. He's put a seal on us, given the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. A guarantee of what? He's a down payment of heaven. I don't know if you didn't catch what I said. But you know why I know I'm going to heaven? Because the Holy Spirit lives in me. And the Holy Spirit is not going to be condemned to hell forever. And he said, I told you the strongest promise in there that I will never leave you or forsake you. So if I truly trust Jesus for my salvation, I truly come to him and he saved me. He gives me the Holy Spirit. And so I don't have to worry about dying anymore because I know where I'm going. And he is the guarantee. For God to send me to hell, he'd have to send himself to hell and he ain't going to do that. Bad English, great theology. I'll put it in good English. You will not go to hell because the Holy Spirit has indwelled you. He's the guarantees. The down, I told you before. It's also found uh, over in Ephesians 4.30. It says the same thing. He's the down payment of our salvation. It's like giving a check. You're going to go buy a house. Give them $1,000 to hold it. And if you change your mind, they keep your $1,000. God has given us the down payment. And so I think you ought to wonder and ask this question. Why has God given us? These great and sure and precious promises. So that we won't have any anxiety in the world we live in. I read one of the promises. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on God. And so we don't have to be anxious in this world. Because not only do we have his promises. And I've already told you this. I'm going to put it in a way you won't forget. We have his presence. 
We have the promises of God written, but we have the presence of God in our life. We have a light in the darkness in the word and a presence as we walk through darkness in this world. You with me? And that combination cannot be defeated even if death is on the line. I've got his promises. I'm going to heaven. I belong to him. I don't get a right to tell him how to use me. If he wants to use me by killing me in a, in a martyr type of way, awesome. Good news. I, I told you, I told you this last week or two. A guy, guy stuck a gun in his belly. He went, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> how about that? And so we don't have to have this kind of anxiety because God is going to give us more of his presence if the answer in that particular moment is just, yes, I'll do that. He said, I might not go do that, but I tell you what, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you know I'm with you. If we ask, if what we ask for is not for our good, he's going to fill us with his presence. But if it is for our good, he's faithful and he'll give us what we need. We fail to lay hold of the promises of God only for one or two reasons. We don't know what they are or you don't know Christ. If you know Christ, you're going to find his promises and claim them. You claim the first one. Why wouldn't you claim the rest of them? Because the first one is, come to me, all ye are hunger, all ye are thirsty, all you who are weary and carrying a heavy load, and I will bring peace to you. I will take your load. I will take over for you, and I will get you through it. And once you said yes to that, all the rest come as the package deal. He bundles it all together. Jesus is the key. He is the promise that opens all the promises. And so we have to, as Christians, realize that, that God is in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But through the Son, he paid the price that we can go free. And God, who now dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, can even, the Bible says in another place, when we pray the wrong prayer, he'll even reinterpret that prayer to make it make sense in heaven. So that God can answer our prayers, when we're stumbling, he goes, let me, let me straighten that out for you. You didn't really mean to ask that. You meant to ask this. Lord, this is what they need. Yes, sir, it's on the way because the Trinity is involved in our life. And so I don't have any worries here, even when I have worries. I can take them to God and leave them there. And the Bible tells in Philippians, when we do that, when we do this with thanksgiving... The peace of God that passes understanding will guard our hearts and our souls and our minds. He'll fortress our lives that we're in him.